Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. So if you are hearing this, that means that you are listening perhaps on a podcast app. And first of all, we very much appreciate you doing that. But we want to let you know that you could also be watching this podcast on our YouTube channel. And if you've been to our YouTube channel before, you may have seen videos of the podcast, but it was just a a static image with the audio laid over it. But no more. That's right. We are actually going to be recording video of our conversations with the leading cannabis researchers of the day and putting it on our YouTube channel. It's our goal as well to put in other relevant visual aids, whether it be a video or a photo or graph, really anything that can enhance the experience for you, the audience. So if you're so inclined, please do go over to our YouTube channel. I'll put a link in the show description to make it easy to find and let us know what you think. And if you do like what you see, We hope you'll hit that subscribe button so that you'll be notified whenever we post a new video. My guest today is Dr. Hunter Land. Hunter is the Vice President of Research and Development at Biopharmaceutical Research Company, one of the few DEA Schedule I FDA-compliant cannabinoid research and development companies. He has 20 years of R&D expertise across 25 different indications, as well as 12 years of cannabinoid-focused research. Most notably, he was GW Farmer's first full-time R&D employee in the U.S., where he played a critical role in the development of Epidiolax and Sativex, and co-authored multiple protocols for the treatment of refractory epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, and pain. At CAMED 23, Hunter's presentation was titled, Effect of Cannabinoids and Canflavins, on neuro, neurodegeneration, lifespan, and health span, which is the basis of our conversation today. You can find a link to that presentation video in the show description. Topics we discussed include defining lifespan, health span, and longevity, why C. elegans are good organisms for studying toxicity and longevity, the entourage effect, more specifically, whether a combination of compounds has a greater effect on longevity than single compounds, how cannabis compounds compare to other longevity drugs like metformin and resveratrol, whether cannabis compounds could be used prophylactically for conditions like Alzheimer's and dementia, determining the ideal dosing range for cannabinoids, And finally, whether CBD and CBG could or should be incorporated into a healthy lifestyle to improve longevity. Before we get to my conversation with Hunter, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, TrueLeaf. TrueLeaf strives to bring you the relief that you need in a product that you can trust. Their plants are hand-grown in a facility with a controlled environment specifically designed to reduce unwanted chemicals and pests keeping the process as natural as possible at every turn. Their mission is to provide compassionate care patients can trust when traditional medicine is not enough. Their specially trained staff works hand in hand with your physician to provide the right products at the correct dosage to ensure you get the compassionate care you need. To learn more, visit trueleaf.com. 
And without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Hunter Land. Good morning, Hunter. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ben. Right. Well, I'm excited to talk with you today about the potential for cannabis compounds to enhance health span and lifespan. But before we discuss the research that your team's done, I think it's important that we define those terms for the audience. So please, uh, if you could, please do. Sure. There's some, uh, I would say, important intricacies, uh, the difference between lifespan and um and longevity, right? So this is longevity is a, a hot topic now. Uh, lifespan, span, as you would expect, you know, typically refers to the length of life um, within a species. And when we talk about longevity, um, it's really focused on who exceeds that kind of mean lifespan throughout that uh, in that specific species. Uh, and obviously, that's a, a goal of many people um, because you know, longer, healthier lives. Um, is something that most of us um, try to achieve. Health span, on the other end, is a measure of activity and more around quality of life. So um, you may be able to extend life, or some people may live longer, but actually have very poor quality of life. You know, what's what's the point of living longer if it's um, if it's uh, you know riddled with hospitalizations and lack of activity? So that that could be a problem. Great. So what made you interested in investigating how cannabis can affect longevity? Well, this actually started out with the conversation with the FDA because, you know, with uh, with the legalization of CBD or the removal from the Controlled Substance Act, the FDA had a lot of concerns with, you know, what happens if you take CBD for an extended period of time? So 20 years, 30 years, is something going to pop up down the road um, that could be detrimental? And, um, you know, it's obviously very difficult to do those studies in humans, um, and it's even difficult to do them in rodents. It's very expensive. It takes a, you know, extended period of time, maybe three, five years to look at, at lifespan, depending on that specific species. One of the, I would say, best preclinical whole organism models is the C. elegans model. It's kind of like the canary in the coal mine model. Um, the EPA likes this. Uh, for toxicity. Um, so, for example, if there was potentially contaminated water, if they don't know what they're testing for, it's difficult to determine, you know, what the problem is and if it's really a danger. So they may use C. elegans, and if they die early, then you probably want to stay away from the, that particular water. Um, it's also been used um, in the International Space Station by NASA. So, you know, what's the, what's the, the you know, what happens when you're at space for an extended period of time. Uh, we don't really know what that means for humans, but we can look in other animal models. So that was really the, the, the start of this work was, hey, is this toxic and at what level would it be toxic and how does that you know, affect um, you know, the life of these in this particular model? Interestingly enough, what we found is it, it wasn't really that toxic. Uh, until you went to super physiological amounts, and still it wasn't, you know, overtly toxic. Um, but then we started seeing this, you know, increase in lifespan and health span. Uh, we also ran that model with cannabigerol, a lesser known cannabinoid, and we saw similar, uh, similar effects. So both 
appeared non-toxic at physiologically relevant amounts and uh, extended lifespan and activity levels during that life. So, um, you know, rather as it would now, again, this is a, a model, but as it would apply to humans, it would be akin to, you know, a, a 80 year old acting more like a 60 year old uh, in terms of health span measures. So not only did they live longer, they were more active uh, through that late stage of their life. So the benefits of health span and lifespan, it sounds like it was sort of just a uh, happy coincidence. Like you were originally looking at the toxicity, but then observed um, this positive effect. Sure. We, we wanted, you know, we obviously wanted to, to, to find out, you know, how safe the compounds were, were, but obviously when you, when you find out that there's a potentially larger, more profound benefit, then that's, uh, then that's something certainly important and relevant um, for us within the cannabinoid industry. Great. And so prior to, to this work, had any research been done into cannabis and longevity? And if so, what kind of makes this research unique? Not, not to my knowledge. Um, I think this was the first, you know, uh, full duration lifespan model. There have since been several other repeats where you see similar lifespan extension, some diving down into potential mechanisms. And, and you know, we, we took those data, you know, following these studies and said, hey, well, if this could help, you know, general longevity, what does it then do in a diseased model, right? So then could we apply this to something like Alzheimer's dementia, or does this have broader applications to different disease states like traumatic brain injury, uh, epilepsy, those sorts of things? Excellent. And so, yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about C. elegans, or they're also called nematodes, correct? Yeah, they're, they're a nematode. Mm-hmm. And so they have an endocannabinoid system? Uh, they have something very akin, I would say, akin to the endo- endocannabinoid system, but which I would say would probably be less relevant for a compound like CBD or cannabigerol because uh, the primary function is not through endocannabinoid system. Uh, you know, there are, there are some data suggesting that CBD may be a negative allosteric modulator, but um, in humans, it doesn't seem to... It doesn't seem to some of the recent data um, presented in the last month or so. Um, CBD may actually have like a PKPD interaction with THC and and bo- boost exposure. So it doesn't seem that CBD the effect at CB1 is enough to really bring down the effect of of THC. So if it does work on the endocannabinoid system, I would say that's uh, probably a minor contribution to its effects. Okay. And so, and I think you already you said this too, but just so I want to make sure I understand it correctly too, that, you know, these C. elegans and these nematodes, it's easier to study lifespan in them because their lifespan is so short, right? Absolutely, right. <laughs> 16 so, days, 20 days, you know, uh, so you can run a lot of different compounds in an inexpensive model. Uh, so if you wanted to look at many combinations of cannabinoids, many different cannabinoids, or like more recently, we looked at uh, canflavins. Um, you can do that kind of in parallel within the same model um, and kind of get this determination of which compound is most likely to win or at least have a better chance to win and, and hopefully be less toxic. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about that too, because in your presentation, you talk about um, sort of this initial research that you did with CBD and CBG on sort of the, the wild type C. elegans. Um, mm-hmm. and saw the benefit. And then sort of, as you mentioned, 
did that secondary experiment on the the tau model to, to kind of see how it could help with, with diseases. Um, and what I thought was interesting about that one is that you weren't just looking at isolates there of like single compounds, but you also looked at sort of whole plant formulations and then with canned flavins too. So kind of um, explain how, how that one differed from, from the first experiment you did. Well, it, well, sure. I mean, there's, I think for years now, there's been this interest in, you know, rational polypharmacy as it applies to cannabinoids or the entourage effect. And, and you know, I've done quite a bit of work uh, thanks to my mentor, Ethan Russo, uh, years ago, certainly had a lot of interest in this area. And, you know, sometimes we see an entourage effect and sometimes we see what I call like a non-entourage effect. And I think this is most pro profound in interocular pressure models where you see reduction in interocular pressure with THC. But if you add CBD, it, it basically um, prevents that effect, uh, that reduction in interocular pressure. So I think that's just one example of of how you could see synergy or or something, you know, the opposite of synergy, right? And um, so so this particular model, the Tau model, we really wanted to dive in and see, you know, are we seeing this additive or super additive effect with um, a complex botanical mixture um, with known components? Um, we the primary components in this um, botanical mixture were THC, CBG and um, CBD. So, uh, and we pegged everything at the CBD level. So we, you know, based on the previous model, we use CBD as a positive control because we know it extended lifespan in wild type. We didn't know how it affected the tau C elegans. Um, not many things are, are really that effective at increasing survival rate in these, you know, highly afflicted nematodes. Uh, so we did, you know, kind of our best guess, and then we could use that to compare to both canned flavins and these botanical mixtures, again, all pegged at that same CBD level. So um, that led us to some pretty interesting results where we do see, you know, this profound effect with these botanical drug substances versus, um, versus just the CBD alone. Right. So score one for the entourage effect. In this particular model, in this situation, with these cannabinoids, I would say, yeah, I think that's a, it clearly shows there is synergy or an entourage effect. You know, if you change this ratio or use different cannabinoids, you know, I, th I think it's important to be specific to, you know, entourage isn't necessarily like, oh, it's a mystery soup, but it came from a plant. Well, you know, what components are there? I mean, if I would have put CBN or CBE or some other cannabinoid in there. I've, I have no idea if that would have helped further, or if it would have hindered some of these results. Um, and when we, you know, we really didn't see with the canflavins. So in the second study, you know, CBDs showed about a 10% survival rate versus four in the wild type at day 16. Um, and canflavin was better than that uh, at, at day 14. It was about 14 or day 16 it was about 14%. So, you know, we would hope that it would have an additive, a further additive effect when you added it to the botanical drug substance. But uh, there was really no, there was no negative, but there wasn't much of an entourage, maybe a little bit of improvement, um, but not even to the point where, you know, it's typically you would think of additive as one plus one equals two in terms of, you know, I'm taking a medication for, let's say, pain. And you've got two different components. They both work on their own. You add them together. 
one plus one equals two. Super additive would be one plus one equals four. And that's what you would hope for. And that's what we saw with the botanical drug substance. But we didn't see that when we added in the canflavins. It was somewhat better, but not, you know, we didn't go from 25% survival to 40% survival, which would have been great. But there may be limits to how far you can push this, this kind of entourage effect. Right. And so this botanical drug formulation now, is that a whole plant extract or is that just combining different isolates into like a, a formulation? So under the botanical drug guidance, you can essentially blend to a specification um, from extracts. And that's kind of, that's probably the best way to keep things consistent. That's what we did with Sativex at GW. So it was a high THC chemovore and a high CBD chemovore that were you know, climate controlled and consistent, but then you blend to a certain specification. So you always have that particular ratio. And essentially that's what we did here is we use different extracts to blend to a specific ratio. And then we also use the canflavin extract to blend into to this for this particular study. Yeah, because the reason I ask is if it's, you know, sort of a, a whole plant extract, is there the possibility too that there is a minor cannabinoid or some other minor compound that's kind of doing some heavy lifting that uh, we're just not seeing? Could absolutely, uh, absolutely be there. I don't know exactly what it would be. And, and again, with every plant being so different, you know, you'd love to find this, you know, highly potent miracle molecule that's in there, um, it, which may or may not exist, but um, it would have been interesting to run it with, you know, three isolates in that same ratio and see if we get, you know, this difference because of these minor components. There have been a couple studies that suggest that the, the mixtures may increase bioavailability a bit. Um, and that may be because some of these other compounds are inhibiting SIP enzymes. So there could be, it could be, you know, direct receptor interaction, or it could be, you know, a pharmacokinetic interaction that may add to the benefit of a botanical drug substance. So, how do these results compare to other drugs or um, compounds that have been studied for this application? There really haven't been many in the tau model. Um, we see this is fairly, the, the early studies with CBD and CBG are, are fairly consistent, um, maybe not quite as beneficial as metformin. Um, for those of you don't, who don't know, metformin is a drug commonly uh, prescribed for met metabolic syndromes like type 2 diabetes, but there's um, there's a thought that it may extend life, and um, there's a couple different ways it may do that, but one of the ways um, is through this methionine and folate synthesis. So it seems to inhibit um, those two compounds, which apparently is important for life extension. Ironically, those are two known, or at least methionine synthesis and folate one carbon metabolism are two mechanisms known for CBD. So there may be a mechanistic overlap with metformin. Um, and again, both compounds extended life. Resveratrol um, is another compound. It's a, a silbinoid. Um, so it has some similar components as cannabinoids in terms of like uh, the, the terpene uh, structure within that compound. Um, also seen to extend life, not as applicable in humans because of metabolism in the gut. So that's something, you know, we have to be careful with these models just because it extends life in C. elegans. You know, what happens when you put it in a system like humans? What happens with metabolism in the gut? 
um, and bioavailability. So all critical considerations to take into account. But um, generally speaking, it looks as good as many of the other compounds that we think may extend life, at least in this model. Excellent. And so so what is the next step? I mean, if you start with C. elegans, um, do you kind of move up the chain of complexity there and kind of test it? Well, we could certainly look at different uh, compounds, but I think you know, different combinations and, and different models of C. elegans. But um, given that tau appears to be, you know, a piece of the underlying etiology of many different diseases, it may be important to look at some of these. So for example, maybe in Alzheimer's dementia, maybe you look at rodent models or human models because we saw some effect here. Maybe in, maybe this is one of the underlying mechanisms for uh, traumatic brain injury or stroke or, you know, a number of other things. Even cancer seems to have this, um, uh, tau seems to be important. And, um, you know, having these tau tangles uh, seem to affect cellular energetics and longevity on the cellular level. So um, preventing those or, or acting as a protectant could be critical in a variety of disease states. Yeah. And I guess that brings up a good point too. So are we are we saying that these compounds would be beneficial in preventing these diseases from occurring or treating them in folks that already have them? Or both? Well, I think that's an excellent point. I, the truth is we don't know. Obviously, prevention would be ideal, uh, although, you know, generally speaking, our, our healthcare system is not entirely focused on prevention. Um, but what we could potentially do is um, prevent worsening, right? If you, let's say it does, let's say we do find out that it is genuinely protective and helpful in something like Alzheimer's, um, you know, can we give it early onset? You know, what about other conditions like MS or Parkinson's that, you know, you have this uh, neurodegenerative kind of disease? Um, can we give it early and prevent uh, progression? Which, which again, would be the, the you know, certainly beneficial to that population and maybe not a cure, but, uh, you know, it could, it could help until something else is potentially better. That, that is a cure arrives. Yeah. And another thing that you had mentioned too, is that sort of the results you were seeing was equivalent to like an 80 year old human feeling like a 60 year old. So it'd be better activity early before you are 80 or can an 80 year old, um, you know, take yeah. now and feel younger. Well, I, you know, even how well that would, would translate, you know, we're, we're not really sure, but, um, you know, based on the data, it, it would seem that taking for a period of time, probably similar to exercising your whole life or dieting your whole life may be of benefit to what degree that benefit exists in humans, I think is, is unknown, but, um, it's interesting nonetheless. And it must be so difficult to, to determine that in a human too, because there's just so many different factors that go oh, in. variables, you know, these yeah. epidemiological studies around diet and vitamins and nutrition, just incredibly difficult to do so many confounding factors that make that data very difficult to determine. But um, I think the key point uh, for the early studies is that it doesn't appear to be um, overtly toxic at these levels. Uh, they're we do know in humans that there are some potential dangers around uh, liver toxicity with high doses of CBD, especially um, with certain drugs like valproic acid, which is also known uh, a known liver toxin. So, you know, I wouldn't say that you know high doses for 
you know, your whole life are safe. There could be some complications there, but um, at low doses and medium doses, it doesn't appear to be a problem based on exclusively on this model, but that's a, you know, it's a big leap to say the, the same for humans, but uh, so far so good. Uh, if it looked toxic, then <laughs> there would be a lot more alarm bells. I know it is difficult to make that leap, even though I, I keep trying to make you, <laughs> I keep trying to make you do it. Um, and, and looking at the results, and we, you talked about dosing, it seemed like there was sort of a sweet spot range for the dose that really got the best effect. It wasn't necessarily the highest dose that got the best effect. So I was wondering if you could speak a bit to that. Sure. I mean, this is, uh, we saw it across both studies in botanical drug extract and in an isolate and tau model and not in tau model. And it, it's, uh, it's not really surprising because we do expect just about everything at a certain level to have toxicity. Um, and, and what we see actually CBG appears to be less toxic in this model than CBD milligram per milligram. Um, but, but again, you know, you can, there's an LD 50 for water. So, um, as you go up, eventually something's going to get toxic, but I would also say in terms of efficacy, this is, it's been a theory for some time about this kind of inverted U, U or kind of biphasic effects with cannabinoids. I think they're more profound with THC. I think there's a, you know, a narrow dose window for THC. Uh, we know that, you know, low amounts uh, or moderate amounts increase appetite. They may help with anxiety. They may help with sleep. But when you start giving high, really high doses of THC, you get massive paranoia, nausea and vomiting. I mean, it's not pretty. There are a bunch of hospitalizations for people that, you know, didn't know how much was in their brownie. Um, so you, you know, as with um, these sorts of, of physiological effects, uh, you may see the same thing in lifespan. Taking too much may be a hindrance um, or, or may be neutral in terms of being of benefit. Uh, we still don't know kind of where that sweet spot would be, especially as it relates to CBD and CBG in humans. Okay. So can't necessarily apply the dosage that was effective in C. elegans to humans? Like, is there like a, a conversion there that you could take with in terms of what the dose would be? Yeah, there is a conversion. Um, it's kind of complicated how you do it in C. elegans. There's two ways. You could actually look at the exposure. You could spin them down and look at their exposure. Um, or you could use it as a, a correlate with, with other compounds that have similar um, lipophilicity. So, um, it, it is complicated, but that 40 nanograms per mil or 40 nanograms, 40 micromolar, excuse me, um, is, is certainly a physiologically relevant amount and not the same as, you know, if, if I was doing work in a dish, right? Because they're basically eating the medium. So, um, that's the concentration in the, their, their food essentially. So, um, not necessarily their exposure on the cell level. So when you see, you know, cancer studies, oftentimes we're applying that and that would be the cell exposure. This is kind of the food exposure, which is relevant to their internal exposure after metabolism. Okay. And apologize if you already answered this question, yes. but, um, so what do we think is going on here? Like what mechanism is being applied to kind of improve the health span and lifespan of these C. elegans? Do we really know that yet? Or I don't, I don't think we know. I mean, there's, you know, CBD and CBG are, are, I would say promiscuous molecules in terms of uh, mechanism. Unlike a lot of new chemical entities and synthesized drugs, 
they're not really you know designed to work on one receptor type they're not highly selective for one thing i mean we know that cbd has at least 68 known targets um and none of them are really potent um thc is certainly more clear that it works primarily as a partial agonist at cb1 but also has some other quote-unquote off-target effects know even less about cbg i think it's difficult to 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 determine it may be relevant to cellular energetics or mitochondria. We know there's some uh, um, potential mechanisms there. There's uh, nucleotide receptors that may be important for transcription, translation. Uh, So truth is we don't know. There's tons of possibilities, Uh, so many that are are countless. I could probably spend the rest of my life trying to determine which combination of, you know, a hundred different mechanisms (laughs) are contributing um, but uh, something's going on and, you know, how can we apply it to potentially make a medicine to help people is, uh, would be great to know. That's the, I think that's the next step. Right. Well, good job, security. You have plenty of things to investigate. <laughs> right. Probably work on this the rest of my life and might, who knows? Excellent. All right. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to do it again and I'm sorry, but <laughs> what is, so I'm an, I'm an otherwise healthy person. I, I exercise, I eat right. I try to take my vitamins and things like that. So can I, should I um, incorporate CBD, CBG into my routine to potentially help uh, my lifespan and health span? Is it too early to tell or? I think it's, I think it's still too early. I mean, you, you certainly could do that. I, things I would watch out for are things like drug-drug interactions and you know, certain people with certain conditions, it may not be right for that individual. Um, and then also just knowing where to get a quality thing that is labeled appropriately. Uh, also, it can be expensive. I mean, this is um, kind of diverging a little bit from this conversation, but these are fairly high milligram doses in, in humans. So, you know, taking 10 milligrams of CBD in a gummy um, may not be doing much, if anything. Um, and if you're willing to spend on, you know, hundred milligrams or hundreds of milligrams per day, it can get expensive. I mean, that could be, you know, three, $400 a month. And, um, then where do you get it? You know, which company is the most reputable that has CBD and CBG and, you know, an idealistic ratio for, for health. And I think that remains to be a kind of industry wide problem. Wow, is that is that the dosing level that we're talking about here? Like up to that would be akin to hundreds of milligrams. Wow, yeah. So not, (laughs) but who knows? I mean, we did see effects at at lower doses, but um, and but yes, it's probably not just twenty five milligrams a day of CBD. Uh, Could be, but um, you know, we don't we don't really know. Interesting. All right. Well, I'll hold off then. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe advisable. If nothing else, it'll probably save you some money. Excellent. All right, Hunter, before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to um, share any other resources um, that might be out there that folks could read up on if they're interested in learning more about this topic. And uh, then please also plug any any ways that people could get in touch with you uh, and learn more about the work that you're doing. Um, well, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of resources in this area other than maybe PubMed or Google Scholar. Uh, we're working to make more resources and, you know, publish these data and we'll see how it gets out to the general public. Uh, certainly you could attend CanMed next year and maybe there'll be some more great presentations on these topics. 
and um, uh, we'll just keep going. And if there are any questions, um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, pretty easy to find. There aren't too many hunter lands out there, so uh, feel free to reach out there and and uh, and we'll keep you posted on, uh, we should have some more data next year. Excellent. Well, we look forward to that data and I will make sure to, to put a link to your presentation at CanMed 23 this year in the show description so people can check that out. Great. Thanks so much, Ben. All right, Hunter. Thanks again. And we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you down in Camden next year. Okay, great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Hunter Land. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, TrueLeaf. Our next episode drops July 19th, that's two weeks from today. In the meantime, I invite you to check out canmedevents.com and all the resources that we have available there. Most notably, our CanMed Archive, a searchable database of all the video recordings of the presentations that have been delivered at our CanMed events. There you can also sign up for email alerts so you can be among the first to get the news when we announce our plans for CanMed 24. We also hope you'll join us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Just search for CanMed events. And also, if you're on social media, please join our CanMed community group on Facebook. There you can connect with other members of the CanMed community, share relevant links, videos, memes, really anything CanMed and cannabis related. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to join us for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.